I grew up, good family, uh, good church. My relationship with God felt more like an obligation. It just felt like something I had to do. I was missing something, but I didn't really know how to figure it out. So I enlisted in the Army National Guard when I was 20. You know, it was every second of our day was controlled. It was hard to find the good things. So there were, we were doing some things that were fun, but even those felt painful because we were constantly getting yelled at and rushed around. Um, so I started to lean on God. I got a hold of a Bible um, and I spent a lot of time in it. It really carried me through. So when I got home, I kind of got sucked back into the world. Um, and before I knew it, I was, I was pretty distant. So I'd, I'd taken this leap with, uh, with the intention of pursuing a career in law enforcement. The department that I had really wanted to make had essentially disqualified me. When I was back to work in my college job, um, I was angry with myself, I was angry with God. I met Heather, my wife, at the end of 2019. I loved everything about her. Um, she just had this life to her. When COVID started messing things up, the way that things were in the world, I, I was in a dark place and it was taking us to a dark place. She reached out to a friend of hers that had been going to I-Town for a while. We were there the next week. To me, it felt less like a message and more like a call to action. I have a tendency sometimes I want to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. Since I've been coming to I-Town, my, my perspective has changed drastically. I trust that uh, if we're seeking God and we're seeking His purpose for our lives and we're living the lives that He wants us to live, we don't have to worry about all those other things. There were so many things that had to go wrong, in my perspective. Single guy, no prospects of meeting anybody, and truthfully, I was losing hope. 18 months later, I'm married to the love of my life. We have a 10-year-old son, got a baby girl on the way. He still got me where I needed to be, regardless of what I did. Don't lose hope, find God, trust Him. If you're walking through something that's painful or challenging, a hard, a hard season in your life, it's a season that you have to get through to get to what He really wants to give you. Come on, would you help me thank Mike, both for his service and for his story? Yeah. Well, welcome once again, everybody, to Easter. It is an honor to have you here with us in the room, worshiping God together today. And I grew up in church, as I mentioned earlier, so Easter has always been a part of our lives. Uh, on Sunday morning, I grew up in a church that you had to get all dressed up every single weekend, and I never liked that because I had to put on those slippery black socks that were super tight instead of my white athletic socks. And I kept trying to convince my mom that it would look fine, but she told me, no, no, you need your black slippery socks for Sunday morning because they look good with your dress pants which I also despised. I would put holes in my dress pants on purpose so I could wear jeans. And somehow she kept having more dress pants for me to put on. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then on Easter, of course, we had to get extra dressed up. You get that little clip-on tie that, you know, cuts a hole in your neck when you put it on. And you got your white pants and your new sport coat. And it's funny because I don't like clip-on ties, but I like all the other stuff that I used to hate when I was a kid. And of course, we get up really early because back in those days, you weren't a Christian if you weren't at church before the tomb was empty. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's got to be dark outside. Sunrise service, baby. And I didn't like the service because everybody was asleep and I couldn't figure out why we were there. But I didn't mind going because afterwards, we got donuts in the lobby. And we had a little potluck breakfast out there with that, you know, whatever that was, that potluck of eggs, soup, something or other, and donuts. And it was a good time. And as much as I enjoyed Easter, it's amazing how with all of the spiritual themes and the great church I was raised in, it's still easy for Easter to become an event. 
There's all the Easter eggs, and you've got your Easter dinners, and you've got your hunts, and your baskets, and all the brunches, and the different things, the clothes, and the outfits, and the picture you've got to take, because Lord knows if you don't take a picture of it, then it didn't actually really happen. And so we've got to memorialize the whole thing. And it's so easy for us to kind of distill it down and miss the meaning of it all. And today, I want to talk to you about the fact that the resurrection is not an event. It's not why we're at church. The resurrection is an experience that God has called each and every one of us to have, and that's my prayer for you today. In fact, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3 for just a few moments, because it's easy for us to miss the experience with God, both at Easter and throughout the spiritual journey, and there's one main theme as to why that happens. And Paul actually deals with it here in Galatians chapter 3. In verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you. Now, first of all, I want to pause and talk about that word foolish because he's not saying that they're stupid. He's saying that word foolish in the original Greek means thoughtless. He's saying you're being thoughtless about your spiritual journey. In other words, there's this group of people that has got this common thought, this common culture around you, and it's seeping into your spirituality, and you're actually flowing in a stream that God's not in. And you're moving away from the authentic experience with God that they started with. And I wonder how much of that is happening in the American church today, where we have anti-Christ principles and anti-biblical mentalities seeping into the church. We're redefining all kinds of things like morality and love. And all of a sudden, we find the modern-day body of Christ drifting away, and people just need to wake up and understand what we actually think for ourselves about the Bible and the truth of God's Word. So this was happening to the Galatian church. Now, I love that Paul says, who is it? Because he actually already knew. In fact, a lot of his earthly ministry was spent fighting this particular group called the Judaizers. So let me tell you what's happening. Basically, Jesus said to the disciples, I want the gospel to spread to the entire world. But they didn't really leave Jerusalem. So God had to go get Paul and be like, all right, you 12 are not doing a good job. i got to go find somebody else. So he went and got Paul. And he's like, maybe that guy will do it for me. So the, the battle plan was, you 12 disciples take Jerusalem and I'll take the rest of the world. And so Paul basically started to spread the gospel to all the non-Jews, or what the Bible calls the Gentiles. And that just simply means those people didn't grow up with faith in Yahweh. They didn't understand the old Jewish law, and they didn't understand all the rules that you were supposed to follow. But that was okay, because now we're saved by grace. And so Paul goes, and he begins to preach the gospel, and make converts, and plant churches, and all these people are on fire for God. But then this group would come along called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were people who were Christians, they believed in the Lord, but they really loved all their laws. And they really wanted all the new converts, these Gentiles, to follow all of their Jewish laws because they were uncomfortable with the fact that these new converts didn't look like them, talk like them, act like them. And so they wanted to make sure that they all kind of flowed in that same vein. And so they would come in on the heels of Paul's ministry, and they would say, hey, welcome to the club. It's great to have you here. Let me introduce you to all the rules that will allow you to truly be a Christian. Let me show you all the things you have to do, all the boxes you have to check in order to be approved enough to be one of us. And of course, the chief argument, the number one thing that they had was that whole circumcision thing which in the Old Covenant was a way that the Jews had their relationship with God. It was a symbol of their covenant with God that he established with Abraham. 
But then God abolished all of that. There's no need for that in the new covenant because it's by grace that we're saved. But it became this tension in the early church. And you can imagine how upset Paul got because it totally destroyed church growth. You can imagine how it would impact today. Hey, everybody, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to welcome you to being a Christ follower. If you haven't yet been circumcised, we have doctors standing by in the lobby (laughs) to perform your surgery today. (laughs) I believe we'd lose all the grown men in the church. I mean, it's just how, it's just, nope, I'm not, that's, uh, that's where I draw the line. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. I mean, and so it was messing up what God was trying to do. And so this church people, this, these, these Judaizers were creeping in, and they were messing up what God was doing. So he's like, who is it that's getting your theology messed up? Who is it in your ear that's keeping you from following God the way you started? Why are you drifting? What's happening? And that word evil spell is important. They cast their evil spell. That word evil spell can kind of be translated like the evil eye. It's the idea of those people who are professional Christians and they feel like they got it all together and they're following all the rules and they put that evil eye on people that don't exactly look like them or maybe have it all together yet and they judge them with that eye. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like that. Like, really? You needed that many holes in your jeans? Really? What? That many tattoos? (laughs) You couldn't be on time? You know how good I am. You know, it's that mentality of how great we are. And unfortunately, some of you are back at church or in church for the first time ever, or back in church for a long time. And maybe you kind of anticipated that somebody would put that evil spell, that evil eye on you like, oh, you're back now. And it's always happened throughout church. In fact, as I mentioned, I grew up in church, but I didn't really have a choice of which church I would attend because my grandfather was the pastor. Now, I will say I wouldn't have wanted to attend anywhere else. He was a great pastor. It was a great church. But I always was fascinated with the body of Christ and different denominations and how people worshiped and what it would feel like. And so when I got to college, I decided I'm going to go check out a bunch of different churches just to see what it's like. Because I didn't have the experience that probably some of you had where you put, made a list of several churches and tried a few out and then decided which one was the best fit. I didn't get a chance to do that ever in my life. So in college, I thought, I'm just going to try what what these churches are like. But unfortunately, my uh, motives weren't 100% pure, even though I love the Lord. Uh, I actually went to smaller churches on purpose that I probably knew didn't have a lot of guests. And I'd get my friends together, and we would go to these places just to see if we could freak them out. Because I knew they didn't have a ton of people that came through the doors that were different than them. And so we would dress more like we were headed to the club than headed to church. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I put my sunglasses on, my big reflective sunglasses, and I'd leave them on the whole time I was there. And we'd sit in the back row. Sometimes we'd sit during worship. Just We weren't trying to be irreverent. Honestly, what I was trying to do is I've always had this weird fascination, which is probably abnormal. I think it's, it's got to be a calling, really, is the only way I can describe it, I think. Because I've grown up in church, I've never not known what it's like to not follow the Lord or to not be accustomed to church culture. So I've always kind of known where to stand and what to do, and I kind of know the songs and and how to be comfortable. But I've always had a fascination with the perspective of an outsider. Like I've always asked myself the question, what would it be like to go to church had you never been to church? And for some reason, I've just always seen church through that lens and wanted to experience it through that lens as well. Because I don't know if you realize this, if you've been following the Lord for a long time, churches can get pretty weird 
for people that don't know anything about God. We just assume people know what we know or have experienced what we've experienced, but many of them have not. And so unfortunately, unintentionally, we create cultures that push people away. So we say we're here to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to win lost people, but then we give the stank eye to people that come in that don't dress like us and look like us and and act like us yet, and and we kind of judge people. And then we say weird things. You know how, like, I don't know if you know that we have a language. There's like Christianese. There's a language to this that can be complicated. Like if you were never at church ever before, never heard anything about the Bible, and a pastor gets up and says, praise the Lord, everybody, aren't you thankful today that we're washed in the blood? Well, we all know that means we've been forgiven of our sins, and people might cheer, but an unchurched person would be like, these people wash in blood? Oh my Lord, we're out of here. This is nuts. This is a cult. I knew it. So we just have to be aware, right? So I always wanted to experience it from the lens of a person that never went to church. And so we would sit in the back and we would sit during worship. And uh, and it's fascinating how every one of those churches, we went to several of them, every one of them that weekend alone were preaching hellfire and brimstone. I thought, you know what? Maybe that's all they preach, but certainly not because they don't have that many guests or maybe ever have any guests. So they probably changed the message to save us because the whole message would be like you're gonna burn for your sins hell is real and if you don't make a decision for Christ man you're gonna be eternally separated from God so with every head bowed and every eye closed if there's anybody in this place that needs Jesus I want you to stand right now or lift your hand however they did it and and to be honest with you uh, I didn't have my eyes closed because I had sunglasses on they couldn't tell if I wasn't looking And they weren't like, if there's anybody in this place right now, all over this place. They were like, if there's anybody in this place all over, just looking at us right now. Anybody. Just lift your hand. We'll lead you to Jesus. And we'd sit there for a minute. But if there's anybody, we have all the time in the world. Anybody. Are you sure? Are you sure if you were to die today that you would spend eternity? And they would just pound it. And, And on one respect, I really appreciated the fact that they were passionate about winning lost people. I love that they seem to believe what they preach. They really wanted us to go to heaven. What I despise is that they assumed we were going to hell because we didn't dress like them and because we didn't look like them. And I think it's important for us to remember. Foolish Galatians, those of you that are new to this gospel, there are other people that would love to swoop in on you and judge you and make it all about your performance and your works and your effort Don't get caught up in that. And this is the tension of the gospel. Today I want to take just a minute to walk through the rest of Galatians chapter 3 to present to you what the gospel really is. What is Easter really all about? Because for some of you, maybe you've never actually heard what Christianity is about. And for the rest of us, it's just a good reminder that it's simply not about us. He says in verse 2, let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? What he's saying is, did you get close to God because you tried really hard and followed a lot of rules and obeyed everything the Bible told you to do? Is that how you got close to God? Of course not. He says you received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. It's because of what Jesus did, not about what you have done. So in verse 3, he says, how foolish can you be? You started the Christian journey right. It was by placing your faith in Jesus, life in the Spirit. But now you are trying to become perfect by your own human effort. And Paul is perplexed. Like, why are you doing this? 
You started off this whole spiritual journey by trusting, and now you're trying to sustain it by trying. And what happens to so many of us in our journey of faith is that we come into it by faith. We get into a relationship with God because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us. But then somewhere along the way, we pervert the gospel. Somewhere along the way, we take the, sh- the focus off of Jesus and we shift it onto ourselves. We make it about how holy we are and how many rules we follow and how hard we try. Now that's a natural thing because if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. At our core, if we're pursuing God, we want to be good. Everyone wants to be good. Because let's be honest for a minute. Grace doesn't make sense. The whole message of the cross, the Bible says, confounds the wise. It doesn't make sense. I am this horrible, sinful person, lost in sin, and all I have to do to go to heaven is put my faith in Jesus. Pray a simple prayer? Like, it's got to be more complicated than that. He's got to want something from me. I got to make some type of sacrifice. There's got to be some type of penalty. I should have to pay. I should have to give. I should have to serve. I should have to earn God's love and affection. There's no way it's that simple. And so we fall for the trap of trying to earn our way to God. There's a problem with that. In verse 10, Paul addresses it. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse because the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So here's the problem. We say, hey, praise the Lord for grace, but I need to add to it. I want to earn my way to God. I want to be saved by good works and not just for good works. So I'm going to make it all about me. And I'm going to get really good at following all the rules. God says, that's fine. But if you try to approach God that way, then you're held to the standard of the law, which means if you sin at all, then you're disqualified. And now your life is under a curse. So jot this down if you're taking notes. No one is good enough. So all of us want to be good because we want to earn our way to God. We want to be close to God. And we feel like maybe it's in our own effort that we do that. But then when we set down that course, the reality is nobody can make it. Not one of us is good enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Surely there is not a good person on earth who always does good and never sins. And every married person said, Amen. That's right, Pastor. I know that to be true. (laughs) You witnessed it this morning. Because the truth is, people are human, and we fall short. We fail, and we have moments of weakness, and so we sin. So we're trying to earn our way to God, but the reality is we can't because we are inherently sinful. And then, all of a sudden, we disqualify ourselves and put our lives under a curse. Because it only takes one sin to mess it all up. It only takes one sin to make a sinner. It's kind of like murder, to be honest with you. You know how many murders it takes to make you a murderer? Yeah, one. One. In case you didn't say one, you need to know that. Even if that's the only reason why you came to Easter. One murder makes you a murderer, okay? One. That's universally accepted, all right? Just in case you were wondering. Now, I will also say, thanks to our incredible prison ministry, we do have several murderers who attend I-Town, and I want you to know we're for you, we're with you. David was a murderer, Moses was a murderer, some of the greatest heroes of faith. Your best days are ahead. We love you and are standing with you. Doesn't have to define your life. But just the same, all of us too, we are all sinners. 
You and I, we are thieves and we are liars and we are lustful and we are prideful and we are greedy. Aren't you thankful you came to church today? That's just the truth. It's just the truth. And so what happens is we come to the reality at some point that, man, I'm, we're not actually good by God's standard. Good in the Bible is that you never sin. And so what happens is we do what the world wants us to do and we just change the definition of good. Good no longer means sinless. Now good just means that I'm a little bit better than I am bad. That I do more good than bad. And we fall for this 51% theology that just says, if I do more good than bad, then that makes me a good person and good people go to heaven. And all of that is total heresy. And I hear it all the time. I love trying to reach people for Jesus and having spiritual conversations. And the number one thing I hear back all the time is, you know, at the end of the day, I just believe as long as you try to do good and try to love people and, and just believe in some type of higher power that everybody, everybody's got different ways of doing it and different things we call that higher power. But as long as we all have a faith in something and we try to be a good person, it'll all work out in the end. Except for the fact Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we have to understand that that's spiritual garbage. There's no way that you're going to earn your way to heaven. You can't be a 51% Christian. There will be a lot of good people in hell. And when we make mistakes, the Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. So all of us here today are sinners, and all of us here today have experienced death. But the miracle of Easter and the good news that I have for you is that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. That's the miracle of Easter, the resurrection power of Jesus. My favorite Easter verse, I read it every single year, Revelation 1 and verse 18. Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead. Man, you ought to circle that in your Bible if you haven't already. Because every other religion's founder is dead. Ours was dead, praise God. But he says, now I am alive forevermore. And then I love this. He amens himself. Amen. I don't know if it was like a flat service or some denominational church he was preaching at. I don't know what was going on. But he just had, to aim. He just had a moment. He amened himself. And then he says, and here's the reason why that matters. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Which means that it doesn't matter how dark your life is. It doesn't matter what you're walking through. It doesn't matter how hopeless you might feel or how much you have given up on your life. Your God has never given up on you. And he holds the keys of all the hell and all the death that you would ever walk through in this life. So there's no person that's beyond God's touch. There's no condition that's beyond God's repair. It doesn't matter how bad your marriage is. It doesn't matter how long you've struggled with that addiction. It doesn't matter how broke you are. It doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter how many friends walk out of your life. God says, I am for you and not against you. My power is able to resurrect dead things and it's available on the inside of you. Greater is he that lives on the inside of you than everything that you face in the world. His angels surround you and protect you no matter where you go. If you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, he'll be the perfecter of your faith. And you can walk with boldness and confidence knowing your best days are ahead because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. That is the message of Easter. He brings dead things to life. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, I'm simply making the case that every single person here simply needs Jesus. We all need Jesus. We are hopelessly lost in our sins. We can never earn our way to God even though there's the constant temptation to do so. But we have to get to the place that we recognize that we are a sinner so that we understand we need a savior. You are not a good person. You can't earn your way to God. Every one of us falls short. But that's why Jesus came to rescue us. Easter is not an event. Easter is an experience. Which is why Paul wrote as we close Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to take a moment before we go to pray that God would touch your life today and that in any area that you are suffering, you would experience his resurrection power. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you first, though, to take a little spiritual inventory of your own life. Where are you at in your own journey of faith? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Maybe this is the very first time you've ever heard the gospel. I want you to know it's simple. Place your trust in Jesus, repent of your sin, and you'll be saved. Maybe you got into this thing with the right motivation, but then got drifted along. You got sucked into modern day theology and mentalities that allowed religion to creep into your heart. And one day you woke up and it was all about you instead of about Jesus. And it sucked the life out of you and now you find yourself far from him. I want you to know no matter how you got there today, Jesus loves you. More than you could possibly imagine. He gave his life for you so you could experience his power. If you'll just pray this simple prayer with me today, you can leave here transformed. God wants to make you into a new person. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I'm not trying to take you to a separate room after service. I just want to pray with you right where you're at to connect you with Jesus. There's nothing better you could do with your life on Easter Sunday than to experience the power of the resurrection. If that's you with no one looking around, I'm going to ask you for one simple, bold step just to lift your hand up high to let me know you want to be counted in on this prayer. If you say, Dave, that's me, would you pray with me? Would you just shoot your hand up high? Come on, right now, all over this place, say, Dave, count me in. Yeah, that's amazing, all across the room. Oh, I'm so, so very proud of every single one of you. I want you to know heaven is having a party. You can put your hands down. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to give you the words to pray. You can pray them quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent today of all of my sin. Forgive me. Today I place my trust in you. Come and rescue me. Change me. Fill me with your presence and with your power. Help me to experience the miracle of Easter. Then just whisper to heaven, I give you my life. God, today I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for every person here. Lord, I know that all of us walk through dark times and difficult seasons. But Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word and for the victory that was secured at the cross of Calvary. That there's no weapon in this life formed against us that would prosper. Father, we thank you that we have authority over the devil. 
We thank you in the name of Jesus that even now, your resurrection power is touching marriages, touching people's physical bodies, touching their emotions. God, bring healing to relationships. Bless our finances. Father, we thank you that in every area of our lives, you are better to us than we deserve. Your promise is that you would do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And God, I pray that that would become our reality this Easter as we place our trust in you. God, I pray that you would help us to keep from drifting into making this journey all about us. Let us keep our eyes always fixed on Jesus. We thank you for your amazing sacrifice. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with all those that just made a decision to follow Christ? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless. You.